0: Good morning, Anthem Church. It's good to see you. I feel like we've all been uh, gone or traveling or whatnot, and so it's good to start finally being in the uh, gathering together. And so it's good to see your your faces. Uh, We are, uh, because we're out of the Christmas season and kind of last year or last week uh, was uh, New Year's Day, we took a pause from John's Gospel. And now we are re entering John's gospel. And as we pick up where we are today in chapter 14, we're picking up with what is called the upper room discourse. And and as we're going to see in a second, Jesus has just dropped a bomb on the disciples he's just dropped a bomb on them where he said, I am going to be leaving you. I'm going to be departing. I'm going to be leaving you here and, and, and departing to be with the Father. And, and of course, the disciples aren't quite understanding this. And and, and as Christians today, we, we know that what this means is Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to the cross, and then I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to ascend to the Father's right hand. I'm going to be reigning in heaven. And so therefore, this is actually good news. But for the disciples, this is devastating news. This is devastating news. And so it's, it's just hitting them. And This, this is Jesus' first response to this news hitting them and, and how they're perceiving it. Now, in this upper room discourse, it's going to be essentially the speech that Jesus gives his disciples before he heads to the cross. And it's going to be chapters 14 through uh, 16. And, and in this, Jesus is going to be explaining uh, what do they do? How do they live in the midst of this world, if He's not physically present with them? What does it look like to follow Jesus when he's not physically present with you? And here's the thing. For us as Christians, this upper room discourse has so much as far as instruction and and leading for how we are to live our lives. You could think of it like a microcosm for our lives, from the time that perhaps we, we begin to follow Jesus until the time when we're at home with Jesus. Now, what's interesting in this is that Jesus opens by saying, You will have troubles. You will have troubles. And as we're going to see in a moment, it's more than just Jesus saying, uh, hey, right now you're going to have some troubles, but he actually is going to begin and end the upper room discourse with this, I, this, this theme of trouble. And, and specifically what Jesus is saying here is, in this life, you're in you're one of three phases. In this life, you will find that you're either exiting trouble, you're entering trouble, or you're in the midst of trouble. And usually, there are several different aspects of life, whether it's financial, your physical health, your mental health, uh, relationships, all kinds of different aspects of life that could be in a state of trouble. And so, Jesus is saying, How do you walk with me? How do you trust me? How do you navigate this world of trouble? Until I come again and I make all things new and I bring the fullness of my kingdom again. How do you as believers, how should you live? Well, that's what Jesus is going to be giving us throughout this entire upper room discourse. Now, here today, though, and, and what we can say is Jesus is almost going to give us the map. Like the map for what it looks like to follow him in this life, in the midst of the troubles of life. But today, what Jesus does is he kind of orients us to the map. See, when you, when you have a map, it's not good enough just to have a good map you also have to be oriented correctly on the map. Let, let me share a story of what happened to us on Christmas break, or something that happened to me that will capture what I mean by this. Uh, when, uh, over Christmas break, we went to um, Disney World, because we're gluttons for punishment as parents. And, and we, so we went to Disney World, and, and I took one day, I, I took some of uh, the, the older kids, I, I took them to Universal Studios, and we went to Harry Potter Land. It was awesome, it's a ton of fun, and... Um, and I just said we went to Harry Potter Land in church. Hopefully it doesn't offend anyone. Uh, I'm just going to move on because <laughs> we believe in witchcraft. Um, so we we took all the, the older kids to Harry Potter Land. And, and when we first get there, my, my daughter had been there before with my wife. And so she knew her way around. She was all excited to show dad. And as we in the Universal Studios, I get the map, the like trifold thing that, that shows you how to get around. And so I've got the map in my hand and, and I go with them. And it's kind of cool because you'll be kind of walking along in this walkway. And then all of a sudden you kind of go around this brick wall and you go in and all of a sudden it's it's like a hidden wall. It's like, a, um, like this magical entrance. And all of a sudden you walk in and you're in diagonal Alley and, and, and this area that's just like, wow, and it's overwhelming. And so it's kind of this secret space. Well, a little bit later, uh, we, we, I had to go somewhere else and the, the, the kids were going somewhere to get in line for a ride. And, and I was trying to find my way back. Now, I, I was completely disoriented. I had no idea where I was. So I take out the map and I was like, okay, I can find my way back. And so I'm following this map and I, and I get up to this wall and, and I'm, it's very similar brick wall and I'm going around the wall. And of course, I'm thinking like, oh, okay, this is the magical entrance, right? The secret entrance. And so I go up to it and I go around, kind of like, you know, they take it in and I go around and it's a women's bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, wrong way. So I go around to the other side of the brick wall and I go in and it's a men's bathroom and and I just kind of stood there for a while and I'm kind of you know, going in circles like, what? Where? And I, I keep going around these walls as if something different will manifest, right? Like maybe I have to knock on the brick wall and like all of a sudden magically, it's not a women's bathroom. Well, finally, one of the cast members, they come up and they go, can I help you? Because I think they can tell I'm just walking in circles, like looking at the map, like I know I'm in the right place and this is the same wall, right? And they come up and they're like, can I help you? And I'm like, well, I, I, I'm trying to get into Harry Potter world. They're like, this is a restroom. I'm like, I've, I've, I've figured that out by now. and And so, then at that, they go, well, let me see the map, and they go, oh, and they turn the page, and they go, you're in the wrong park on the map, and so I was in this, like, island thing. There's, like, two different areas for Harry Potter land. It's, it's very confusing, and, and so I was, in the, I was looking at the wrong one on the map, and, and on the orientation on that map, I was in the right place, only I was actually at a bathroom, And so I couldn't find where I was. And so they flipped the page and they said, actually, you're in this park. Then when I looked at that park, I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be at the other side of this park, right? And then I was able to find my way in. In other words, I had the right map. I had the right map. But I wasn't oriented correctly on the map. And what Jesus is going to do in the Upper Room Discourse is he's going to give the disciples a map but he's saying here today, what he's going to say to them is, before you can take this map and you can follow me in the midst of the troubles of life and navigate this world, you, you've got to be properly oriented. You've got to be rightly oriented on this map. And, and what we're going to see today, and, and especially, here, here's how I'm thinking about this. I know a lot of us pray out of town last week and whatnot. We're, we're still kind of in this mindset of kicking off 2023. As we go into, think of 2023 as a leg of the journey that Christ has you on and following him. And in 2023, Jesus is going to be asking you to navigate the troubles of this life following him. And, and what we're doing this morning is how do we get oriented rightly so that we can follow Jesus as we begin this leg of the journey that we call 2023? It's going to be pretty simple, uh, but we're going to look at first what uh, we need. We need three essentially navigational points, you could say. Uh, the first is the destination. We need to know the destination. Uh, the second is then that we need to know the path. What's the way? the path. And then third, uh, as you know, I'm going to keep you in suspense. We're just going to call it the final point on the map, all right? Keep you in suspense. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, we, we thank you for these truths that are found here, these profound truths, uh, these truths that honestly are just, they're, it's hard for them to seek in beyond just our minds, and, and just kind of intellectually nodding our heads to these things for them to sink down into our bones. So today, Lord, would you help these to sink down into our bones? Would you set us up well this morning to be oriented so we'd be prepared to hear the things in the coming weeks here in this Upper Room Discourse that Jesus is going to disclose to us about what it looks like to follow him in this life? Lord, would you help us to cling to you, to find joy, to find delight, to find life in the midst of the troubles of life? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, Jesus begins his words here in verse 1. He's responding to the disciples' reaction to something that he said. So go back to verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Jesus just told all the disciples this a few verses earlier, and now specifically with Peter. Then when we come to verse 1, this is why he's saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also God in me. See, Jesus isn't just, though, responding to uh, the disciples' response going, you're going to go away, and they're troubled. But what's interesting is this is the first verse of the Upper Room Discourse, the speech that Jesus is going to give them. Think of it like a, a crash seminary course or a graduate degree in following Jesus in a few chapters. That's what the Upper Room Discourse is. He begins it with a verse, first verse where he says, don't be troubled, but, but then this is how he ends it at the last verse of chapter 16, John 16, 33. He says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, what Jesus does is he, he brackets this entire lesson. He brackets all of it with this idea that in this world you will have trouble. And he does it because he says at the the heart of navigating this world is is being able to find life and being able to find joy and being able, able to find hope in the midst of the realities of it. And here's the thing, guys, what I love often about, what I always love, not just often, but about the Bible is that the Bible just shoots straight. The Bible doesn't kind of cover things up or just kind of go with vague sentimentalities or just kind of like wishful thinking, but the Bible deals with the gritty stuff of life. And Jesus says, you are going to have trouble there will be troubles in this world. This world is not your ultimate home. This world will fall short of, 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 of your dreams, of your aspirations. Those things will happen. And so Jesus says, in this world you will have Trouble. He isn't making light of trouble. We're saying you won't have it, you will. But what he's saying here is there is an orientation. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You will have trouble, but let not your soul, let not your heart. In other words, what Jesus is saying is there, I'm not going to make light of it, Jesus says. But there is something, an orientation you can have in your soul, a truth you can possess, something you can have, a framework you can see your life through that actually will keep your, your soul from becoming devastated by the troubles of your life. In other words, what Jesus is saying is your soul in, in many ways, and heart, soul, we, we tend to in the modern world use more the word soul to uh, encompass what uh, the word heart meant in the, old, in the New Testament, which right now I won't go into that, um, so I'm going to use them interchangeably, heart and soul, but what Jesus is saying is your soul in the midst of even the troubles, the hardest troubles of life, the deepest, darkest troubles of life, can, can be kind of like a beach ball that even when you hold it underwater, it just always finds a way to rise. It always does. It doesn't make light of it, but it does shed light in the midst of those troubles. And, And what is that thing, Jesus says? What Jesus tells them that they can cling to, that they can have in the midst of the troubles, that will speak to their soul, that will speak to our souls, is knowing the destination of our lives, of our minds being oriented towards our ultimate destination, knowing what is the end of all of these troubles, of all of these things, where do they lead, of all the ups and downs of life. And here's what Jesus said, verses 2 through 4. In my Father's house are many rooms. So Jesus says, believe in me, trust me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So Jesus is saying here, he's saying, listen, no matter what, how loud the voice of your circumstances are, no matter how troubling, no matter how dark, no matter how amplified they are in your life, listen, no matter how confidently they're telling you that you're, you're going to be overwhelmed by trouble and this will never end, he's saying, hear my voice louder than that, that it does not have the final say. Whatever it is in your life right now, and here's the thing, I know we're like coming out of the holidays, right? Like, I feel this. We're coming out of the holidays where everything's just kind of, you know, everything's supposed to be like a Hallmark movie, and everyone's got time off. You don't have to work, and you don't, have to, uh, you don't have to exercise. You don't even care what you're eating, right? Like, and you're just eating whatever. And then all of a sudden, you come back to life, and all of a sudden, the troubles start rushing in, and, and, you, and the financial troubles, the mental, the emotional, the relational, the career, the on and on and on and on, the troubles begin to just kind of like clouds roll in over our lives as we begin the new year. And Jesus says those those clouds, yes, they will be there and they're going to roll in, but they are not, they do not have the ultimate say. But when they're rolling into your life and it's like they're blocking out the sun, it seems like they will be there forever. But Jesus says they're not forever. This world is not your ultimate home. If you're in me, if you're one with me, if you follow me, Nothing can keep you from that ultimate destination, and it puts everything into perspective. And Jesus says this not because it's just sentimentality. You know, when I was younger, I've shared several times I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I always kind of looked at people in the church and Christians who would talk about kind of heaven or just this eternal life, and I was like, well, that's nice. That's coping. Way to cope, guys. But see, what Jesus, this is, remember, this is in... The moment when Jesus is saying, my father, I'm going to my father who's preparing a place for you. How is he doing that? He's going to go and prepare a place. How? By going to a cross and dying a bloody death, a historical bloody death on a cross for the sacrifice for our sins. So that sinners like you and I who are fallen might be restored to relationship with the holy God. And because his blood covers our sin and removes that death, that means that that death, that sin, that darkness, that trouble will have no place in God's ultimate kingdom. And so what Jesus is doing here is not just giving us some kind of cope. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is giving us a gritty solution to our problem. And Jesus is saying, I have gone to prepare a place for you, a home for you. And what he's saying is that home is a place where you will be with me and my Father. And it's the whole reason why he came. Do you realize that? Here's the thing. I know some of you, you might be like, hey, I just, for whatever reason, this is one of the only times I've been in church for a while and I'm... And I don't really know about this Christian thing. Here's here's one of the things I want you to hear clearly today. Christianity is not just some get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not the message of Christianity as a whole. It's one element of it. Yes, you do get out of the ultimate jail. That's That's good news. But the whole point of Christianity is that we're being restored to relationship with our Creator, the God who, as 1 John says, is love, a God of eternal delight, and He's inviting us into His home. He's saying, I prepare a place for you. Jesus keeps referring to the Father because he's saying, when, when I, when you become one with me, you become a child of my Father. And he creates this place of love, of this home that he invites you into, and that is your ultimate destination. This is actually picked up by, I love this, this um, description of heaven. And it's, heaven is this place where there's sadness. As C.S. Lewis said, every chapter will be better than the last. And this brokenness is no more. All the tears are wiped away. And, but it's summed up, uh, Jonathan Edwards, who is an old theologian, he, he sums it up, I think it's in his, his religious affections. He says this, he says, There, heaven, this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory in beams of love. There, the fountain overflows in streams and rivers of love and delight. Enough for all to drink at and swim in, yea, so as to overflow the world with a deluge of love. Heaven is not merely some place where it's like God's kind of in a different zip code and we're in, a, in this zip code or on a different planet. Heaven is a place where we are permeated with the presence of God. And his love and his grace and his mercy, his righteousness, his holiness... We're able to draw near, and that is the ethos of our home. And Jesus says, I go in the midst of the troubles of life. Remember, have this perspective that no matter how dark it gets, remember that that's the ultimate end. That's where I go to prepare a place for you so you would have that. And here's the thing. It does two things. One, what it does is it puts all of our troubles in perspective. Uh, there's a great illustration that uh, lots of theologians, maybe you've heard a pastor use before, uh, between D-Day and V-Day, right? So D-Day, right? The day when we storm Normandy, right? It's Gettysburg. Every, every great war has a D-Day where we know actually this is the day where it's done. This is the day where they've been defeated, this is the day when actually now it's just a matter of the cleanup work until we get to V-Day, which is Victory Day, when it's all over, the treaties are signed, and all the hostilities cease. See, see, what Jesus is saying is, because I've gone to the cross and I have prepared a place for you, I have made a home for you, the bed is waiting for you, the key card is waiting at the front desk for you, whatever weird, uh just went hotel because I've been staying in hotel for the last 10 days. But you are <laughs> like, hotel doesn't sound too intimate. But... Jesus says, it's already waiting for you because of what I've done on the cross and because I've been risen from the grave. As J.R.L. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, I think once said, if the resurrection is true, then everything's going to be fine. Think about that. If the resurrection is true, then everything is going to be fine. And what Jesus is saying is everything is going to be fine because I have risen from the grave, I've conquered death, and therefore now this time between the D-Day when I rose again, I died on the cross and I rose again, till V-Day when I come again, what he's saying is it's just the cleanup work, it's just the mop-up work, and In the midst of it, the hostilities will eventually be ceased. But right now, have that perspective that right now it's not all on you to save yourself. It's not all on you to try to uh, create this eternal life that that will satisfy you forever. But instead, I have provided that rest in me. And so in the midst of our troubles, what Jesus is saying is, yes, these are troubles, but they are just for a time. Just for a time, but not only does it, does it put our troubles in perspective, but also when we have the destination in mind, it also puts our pursuits in perspective. Uh, this hit me. I, I okay. So if you've uh, heard me preach or just know me, I rarely will pull the. I feel like God, like I kind of could sense God really speaking. I just don't pull that card a lot because I, I I think it could be not helpful, but. I was on, we were doing a boat tour in Winter Park, which is a beautiful part of Orlando with a friend of ours, and, um, and I was looking at these 15 to $20 million homes, and how, the, how on one side, the, the sun rises in the morning on the lake, and they're looking out at it, and on the other side, it sets in the evening, and I'm going like, you know, everything in my mind is going after, like, how do I get one of these, right? And then I'm getting troubled because I'm going, maybe I'll never have one of these. And I'll never get to experience whatever this is. I, it's not necessarily having all that, but it's like the peace, the tranquility, whatever my mind makes, my soul makes up out of it. But you, you know how we go through life and we're constantly discontented because we're going, man, what? I gotta get everything in this life. I gotta have all the experiences. I've gotta get all the stuff. And, and I remember I was sitting there on the boat and I was looking at it and I just had this impression of, of just this whisper in my soul, because I'd just been reading this passage, too, of just God saying, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Whatever this is, whatever it is in my kingdom, one day forever, it'll be this, but far beyond what you could imagine. The peace you're looking for and whatever those possessions are, the, the security that you're looking for in that thing, the, the ability to just have this sense of power. And, 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 and when I say power, I don't mean like power. What I mean by power is like having control over the uncertainties of life. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, put it all in perspective of the fact that I've gone to prepare a place for you. Anything in this world that you'd have is just a drop in the bucket to what you will have with me forever. And what that does is it puts our pursuits in perspective. And and honestly, for me, what I I found was my mind was just steamrolling towards all kinds of selfish thoughts and things like, how do I get all this, right? And and one of the things immediately when that started to settle into my soul was my soul immediately started turning towards, how do I use this life to serve others? I'm not trying to get everything, but I'm actually able to give it away. Is there so much joy and freedom and having our hands open versus our hands like this? Because Jesus said, when you have that perspective to see that, oh, you have all the riches of the universe in me. It's guaranteed. So Jesus says, orient your, your life to that destination. It'll put everything in perspective your troubles, your pursuits. And often when our pursuits aren't put in perspective, our pursuits create troubles, right? So it addresses both. Now, so, what's? How do we make sure we're on the path towards that? So, second, second point. So that's our. The destination is the first navigational point we have to have to orient ourselves every day. The, the second one, though, is the path. And what I mean by the path, if you're a uh, if you're under 25, what I mean by the path is that blue line on Google Maps, right? Like, <laughs> that's the path. Uh, the, the journey, what, what's the path that we, we need to be on? Uh, look at how the disciples respond in verse 5. They say, Thomas said to him, Lord, uh, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? <laughs> so Jesus says, I, I, I will lead you to the Father. You know the way. And he goes, uh, uh, no, we don't, right? Got to love it. It's a, fair, it's a fair question, right? How do we know the way? How this Sounds great, Jesus. Sounds theoretical and abstract, but how do I get there? Jesus uh, then gives an interesting response, a famous response in verses 6 through 7. He says to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. So what's, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, I am the path, I am the way, I embody the truth, I am the essence of the life you seek. See, what's significant about this is Jesus, unlike any other religious teacher, any other guru, any other spiritual leader in history... Uh, Jesus is the only one who doesn't just say that I can lead you to enlightenment. I can uh, point it out. I can unveil it. I have a corner on it. Jesus is the first one ever to say and the only one to say, I am. I am. I I don't just bring you to it. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the the way. He's saying, I am the very essence of truth and life, the very passage to it. So what does what this meaning here? What, what's, how's he re- why, I mean here? I don't know if you, you think, sometimes Jesus responds in a way that you're like, they ask the question, did Jesus really answer the question? Like Jesus will say something, he does answer the question. But what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you know the way you get there? You know the way you find your way there? Is you cling to me. What Jesus is saying, the path to this ultimate destination, the path to navigating troubles in life, is to cling to Him, to come to Him, to go where, where, wherever I'm trying to find life, whatever's tempting me, whatever these things, ultimately, what I need to find first and foremost is that life, that joy, that truth in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is saying, Cling to me, Thomas, cling to me. Don't let go of me. And we're going to see as the upper room discourse continues, this is why the Holy Spirit's going to be brought in. This passage, the Holy Spirit, Jesus isn't teaching yet, but we're going to see in the coming weeks a lot about the Holy Spirit, because Jesus is going to say, how do we walk with him? How do we cling to him? We're going to have two other ways today. But Jesus is saying, cling to me. See, one of the things, especially in the midst of troubles of life, is we, we often, like, I, I want to run ahead. Like, when, when I want to know what, what's going on in these troubles, it's kind of similar to, like, what's, what's the will of God? How, how do, what do, where do I go from here? What I want is often I want God to hand me, like a, like, a note card where it says step one, step two, step three, step four, right? This is what will happen next week, then next week, and then next week, and then next week. And, and if that would happen, then I feel like it would, it would solve everything. But what, and what the disciples here are doing is, Jesus, how do we get there? Tell us the, the routes, right? Like, tell us step one, step two, step three. And what Jesus does is he tells them what we often receive from God when we're seeking to know the next steps. And what God does is he often leads us. He says, it's not a note card. I won't give you all the steps because then you'll worship the steps. But, but instead, instead of giving you a note card, one way, Howard Hendricks, who was for years at Dallas Theological, he had this great illustration. He said, it's not like God gives you a sheet of paper with the printout of the plan, but God's will, his plan for your life often unfolds more like a scroll. And, and what happens is it's one step at a time as you walk with him in dependence, because here's the thing, why does Jesus do this? And, and one of the things, there's a clue, if you want to know God's plan for you, for your life, and, and how to kind of navigate life, the one place we get God's plan is, it says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. If you've ever wondered what is the will of God for my life, this is the will of God for your life. It says it in the Bible, that you would grow more and more into likeness, that you would follow after Christ that you would cling to him, that you would demonstrate the same obedience to the Father that Christ demonstrated to the Father by following him and knowing him. And so God doesn't just give us in the midst of our troubles. Jesus doesn't just go, well, go here, then go here, then go here, Thomas. What he says is, come to me. Come to me. Learn every day to follow me, to walk in dependence on me. And we're going to see more and more about that in the Upper Room Discourse as we go throughout. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to have life in me, to trust me. And why does Jesus do this? Because what he's saying at the end of the day, again, remember the ultimate destination, the ultimate treasure is him being in his presence forever. And so he's saying, don't the destination, like the way to the destination isn't any different than I am the destination. So he's saying, I want you to learn to walk in dependence on me in the midst of your planning, in the midst of your pursuits, in the midst of navigating this life. Uh, my kids have this cute turn of phrase. Like my daughter, Marilyn, she got off her first adult roller coaster, the rock and rollin' roller coaster. And we get off and I'm like, how was she? She's not covered in vomit. Okay. It seems like she's okay. And she looks at me and she's like, I didn't like that roller coaster. <laughs> and I was like, oh really? You know, maybe daddy taking you on the thing with the corkscrews and everything wasn't a good idea. Don't tell mother. Uh, but she goes, she goes, I, I didn't like that roller coaster. And she goes, I love that roller coaster, right? <laughs> my kids do this all the time to my wife, like they're having dinner. Like, I didn't like that dinner. And she's like, ooh, you children, right? And they're like, I love that dinner. And we're like, we're a family again. So with, with it's the same way Jesus, what he's saying is, I don't, I don't want you just to have what you would like. I, I, like. Oftentimes what it feels like in Scripture is like, why don't you just tell me a plan, God? Why don't you just give me that next thing I want? And he goes, I don't want to just give you what you would like. I want to give you what you would love. I want you to have the ultimate thing. I want you to have me. And ultimately, if we're honest, if God would just kind of pave the way and give us the things that we want and we desire, what would happen is we would just swerve off from following him. We, we would begin to worship those things. we begin to take hold of those things. And sometimes I know in my own life, I've said maybe God didn't provide the material this material blessing or that thing or that opportunity because my soul wasn't ready to still cling to him if I had that. And so oftentimes in our life, what Jesus is saying is, I want ultimately, I want you to still cling to me. I want you to know me because I'm the thing that you love, whether or not you realize it and that you need. And so Jesus here is saying, the path is me. There's a way of framing this. Pastor John Piper, he puts it this way. It forces us to ask this in life. He says, the critical question for our generation and every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Our ultimate, the only thing that can keep us from our ultimate destination is letting go of Christ, of turning from him. Jesus is our ultimate destination. He says, I have accomplished it so you might have me and I will bring you home. I want you to navigate this life where yes, you might have troubles, but at the end of the day, if you have me, it puts all, again, not to make light of those troubles, but it sheds light on the true nature of those troubles. And you can have joy even in the midst of them. Now that leads us to then lastly, okay, so what's the final point? What's the final navigational point? Uh, How do we do this? How do we day in and day out do this? Well, the final point on the map, Uh, Notice Philip's response in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Because he's just said, if you know the Father, you'll know me, and, and all this. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, what's Jesus doing here? What's happening is Philip is saying, hey, if you, if you show us the Father, that's, that's the destination, Jesus. That's what you're saying. You're going to be with the Father. And so if you show us the Father, then, then we'll, we'll know where we're going and we'll have this clue. And Jesus is saying, no, in the midst of it, if you know me, you know the Father. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, here's who you are. The most important thing about you, the most important thing that could be true of you, is that if there is a, there's a God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Father who is holy and righteous, who sees that we've rebelled, but yet he sends his beloved son, his you can say his very heart into the world in order to save us, to make us his children. And Jesus is saying, if if you see in me, the father's heart, that he's come to save you, to bring you home, to make you his own, even while, as Romans 5, 8 says, while you were yet sinners, That even in the midst of the pushing and the rebelling and the the trying to run away from God, that he holds you until you receive and understand his love and his embrace and his grace and his son. He says, Philip, if you don't see that that's what I have brought, then you don't actually know who you are. You don't, in other words, even know where you're starting every day. See, one of the things that we see throughout Scripture again and again, because the beauty of John's gospel is he's saying the Father has a will, the Son accomplishes the will, and then the Son comes into the world and he accomplishes that, and then it's applied by the Holy Spirit to God's people. And what Jesus is saying is the Father's heart is to save you, and I've come to save you. Do you see? Do you see that that's everything that's true about you? That's where you begin the journey. Philip is off, kind of cast, going, who, who am I? What's going on right now? And, Peter, and Jesus saying, this is the main thing you can know about yourself and that you can anchor yourself in. See, throughout Scripture, we get this language of being in Christ, of being one with Christ. Even in the letters, I, I love that you can go through the New Testament letters. I think all but one of them, Paul's letters, it says something like this. Uh, to the Christians who are in, uh, in Christ at Colossae, at Philippi, at, at wherever. And, and in other words, what he's saying, You're, think about that phrasing. You, Christian, are in Christ at Columbia in 2023. In other words, what Paul is saying is we tend to think that what's most true about where we're located, where we're beginning our lives every day is, yes, it's accidental, this historical reality, we're here in Columbia, but what he's saying is most true about your location, where you start every day, is you're in Christ. The marker on the map, the place where you begin every day, is in Christ. And what what Jesus is saying to Philip is, Philip, you are in me, and if you are in me, then you can truly see the Father. And so the question is, often, so often in our lives, not only do we live our days not without the destination of mind. Uh, not, not clean to Jesus, but it's all because when we start our days, we have to wake up and anchor ourselves every day in that truth that we are in Christ, that what's most true of us is, yes, I'm in Columbia in 2023. I'm, I'm a pastor. Right now, I'm in fairly good health. I'm married to Lauren. I have three kids. I have all, all, all these things are true, but what's most true of me where I need to start and anchor my soul every day if I'm to do this journey is in Christ. Jesus gives us two ways that we do that every day, and this is to to close here. First, he says, study the promises. So how do we locate ourselves in Jesus every day? These are not going to be profound. They're going to be simple, but they will have profound effects on our lives. He says, first, study the promises. Verses 10 and 11. It says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So notice, the words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Whose authority? The Father's. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Notice that the works and the word is interchangeable there. Isn't that interesting? So he says, again, I'm going to read again, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Then he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. What is Jesus saying here? He goes immediately into the word of God and the works of God, because as we've seen throughout John's gospel, and as I just said a little bit ago, the whole point is that Jesus fulfills the promised promise word of God by working it out. So God has promised salvation. God's promised we could be in the presence, his holy presence forever. We could be restored to that garden reality, you could say, from Genesis, Genesis 2. And, and Jesus comes and he fulfills those promises. This is why 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, all the promises of God, Paul says, have found their yes and amen in him in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who secures all of the Father's promises in the Word, in Scripture, in the Bible. Jesus fulfills all of them. All of the Old Testament, all the news, all of it is fulfilled in Jesus. He's the interpretive key. And Jesus is saying, if you have that, then you have this anchoring for your soul. See, one of the... We've, we've said this, so sorry if it's repetitive. Maybe it's helpfully repetitive. We often think... Uh, Why should I build my life on God's word? It's just one opinion amongst others. And here's here's what I want to do just to fuse it. because we often think I'll just live my life based upon what I can discern as truth. That's not how reality works, though. The way that reality works is we will build our life on someone, on received wisdom, on some tradition, on some someone's external word. In other words, we can't internally come up with all the truth we live on. We have to find it externally. And so it's not a question of if. It's not just like Christians do something different. They have an external uh, uh, source of authority called the Bible that they go to. But instead, every human being will have to have an external source of authority, whether it be their parents, their culture, uh, social media, just media in general, whatever it is. The greatest philosophical traditions our world has ever had. But everyone, it's not a question of if you'll build your life on someone's word. It's a question of whose. And is it true? And what Jesus is saying is I have confirmed that God's word is the truest and the one that you can build your life on and anchor yourself in because it, I have achieved and fulfilled all the promises that are there. And it leads ultimately to your Salvation. And so what Jesus says here is, go to the word and run to the works. See what I've accomplished. Believe on account of the works. Go to God's word. Read in scripture what God has done, what Jesus has accomplished. And if nothing else, in those works you see God accomplishing his promises. You see how that's interchangeable and why Jesus is using it that way. And so Jesus is saying, go to the Word every day, anchor yourself in what I've done so your life would not be built on unicorns and rainbows and, and opinions. Because and, every day when we wake up, there are a thousand editorials and opinion pieces rushing at us. And how do you discern them? Jesus says, before you pick up the phone, pick up the book and hear my voice. Uh, last week, I, I know that we, we had more of these, Well, we have Bible reading plans. And yes, this is really simple. I'm telling you guys... Make one of your resolutions going into this year, being in the Word of God. It will change your life. It will change your life. It's, if you're saying, I'm spiritually, I'm starving right now, hear this clearly. If you, like if you go to someone and say, I'm spiritually starving, they say, do you eat every day? And you say, I don't eat every day. Then they'd say, I have a solution for you. Eat something. This is why Jesus says the Word of God is the bread of God. Where he's saying your soul ultimately needs the Word of God every day. You will be spiritually malnourished. You will be dead, and you will be stuffed with hypersoluble cotton candy from the culture and sick if you don't have a steady diet of God's Word. It's as clear as I can put it. And so we have one year, two year, three year chronological reading plans, topical or not topical uh, through the book straight through whatever it is. I know young moms, you're like, I barely get five minutes a day. Do a two- or three-year plan. That's what my wife has done for a couple years. And read in God's word and see his promises. Secondly, it's not enough just to say the promises of God, though. Then we also need supplication in his presence to request. Look at Jesus. He goes to prayer here in 12 through 14. Uh, He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father will he do? Uh, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What Jesus, the reason why he goes to prayer here is he's saying, if I'm going to be leaving you, you need to know that as you're journeying through life, you have a direct line to the end destination. You need to have a direct line home. And, and what he says here is, and, and again, this is another area I struggled with for years because I thought I don't know prayer was just kind of like wishful thinking or kind of like just a positive way to get your mind framed in a different way. I, I can be kind of cynical when I think about stuff. Uh, but notice why Jesus says to pray. He says, "Do this, request things. Supplication means to request. Ask the Father." He says, "Because I am going to the Father." Now, why why is that significant? Uh, because as verse twelve says. He says, God will do greater works in our day. In other words, the war isn't over. There's still battles to be won. There's still things in your life. If Jesus has you in this life, he has things for you to accomplish. He has things in unveiling his kingdom, of making the gospel known, of glorifying him, that you are still here for that purpose. And how do we, and here's where the confidence comes in. There's this interesting, deep truth in Scripture and what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying, I'm going to be leaving and I'm going to be at the father's right hand. See, a deep truth of scripture is the fact that not only does the father send the son, and the son accomplishes salvation on the cross by shedding his blood. But then in his resurrection, the son ascends to the right hand of the father. And the book of Hebrews tells us that he's not only the sacrifice, therefore, of sin, but he is also the high priest in the heavens who's administering the sacrifice. In other words, the reason why we pray in Jesus' name, the reason why we go before the Son is because the Son is now, not only has He accomplished the redemption of God through His sacrifice, but He will apply and has a plan now in this time in the heavens where He's perfectly applying that work throughout human history. And so what, when God, what God is saying is, come to me. I am the one who's applying that work. Request, ask me, expect great things. Now, I know when you read this, some of your minds, you're going, Jesus said I can request anything. And you're like, anything? Like a jet, right? <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know. But what, what Jesus is saying, catch what he says. He says, whatever, whatever glorifies the Father, whatever brings God glory. In other words, it's not just what, what Jesus is saying here is he's, Jesus will answer our prayers in a way that most glorifies God. Jesus demonstrates through our life his power and our weakness. He, he makes us again and again aware that, yes, he is God and we are creatures. That we are his children, that he's a father, he gives good gifts. And why is that good news? Because... We know in the end, no matter how God answers our prayers in accordance with his glory, what's that ultimate glory? That he brings about that place called love. That our greatest need, our greatest request, our greatest supplication has already been met and accomplished. That God will bring us into the fullness of his presence, that he saved our souls. And so it's already been answered with a giant yes. So he says, come to me. Bring whatever your needs are to me. Make them known to me. And I'll answer them in accordance with my glory. And, and all these things, though, in the end, will lead to you being in my presence in one big giant yes. And our souls need that. So don't just start your soul... Anchoring yourself in God's word, but also bringing your soul before God, before the Father. And so, I'd encourage you this year: like, make a get a just a simple journal and write out your prayer requests. Keep track of them. Write them down. Talk to God. Sometimes ink hitting paper helps you speak to God. So, in closing, uh, start off this leg of the journey. We're all on the journey, right? Start off this leg. This leg we call 2023 with the right navigational points: the destination, the path. The starting point. Anchor yourself every day by setting God's promises in his word and through supplication in his presence. And follow the path of truth in life. How? By clinging to Jesus every day. Going to him every morning. Starting your day, anchoring yourself in him. And then what happens is in the midst of the troubles of life, uh, what happens is it doesn't just feel like you're on a, a train that's running away out of control to nowhere. To just anywhere. But instead, you'll know that where it's headed in the midst of the troubles is to a place where Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare for us, that ultimately where we're headed is a place called love. Anchor yourself in that truth. Orient your soul to that truth every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these simple truths that, Lord, again, are take. So much time to sink into our bones, Lord. Would you help us for that, that reality of the destination, that all of our lives, the, the telos, the end, is being at home with you. Lord, our minds run to all kinds of things, trying to make sense of what that would look like, what that would be like. But, Lord, we were given so many pictures that it would just be this place in your presence, this abode where it's a Beautiful new kingdom. Lord, help us to have that in mind. Lord, help that to guide our hearts, to invest and steward our lives, our possessions, the whole of who we are, our relationships towards that end. Lord, will we sing over one another, encourage one another that that is true? That this is not just kind of us sloughing through life because it's just trying to get everything we can now. But Lord, ultimately, we're going to that place you prepared for us. And Lord, would we anchor ourselves every day in you, in you, Jesus because you are ultimately the path. We, you don't follow us, we follow you. And we follow you by rooting ourselves in your word, by being dependent upon you and going to you for our needs in prayer and communing with you and knowing you. Lord, would you give us peace in our souls as we begin this leg of the journey, 2023. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.